you know, I wasn't uh, feeling all that nervous or uh, any negative emotions uh, before that introduction, but now I feel like I have this high uh, expectation to live up to. Um, but I'm really thankful to be here this morning and to worship with you, Wildwood, but then also to share with you as we conclude this series, um, the journey of mercy that Doug has you in. We're going to be on Micah uh, chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 8. And I know this is a passage that you all have looked at before. Uh, we're going to take a little bit different lens on it. But um, I'm really excited to, to, to answer a few questions out of this passage for you that I think we all should be wrestling with. Uh, but before we dive into that, uh, we're going to talk about three things in total. If you want to go to that, we're going to be talking about my amazing family. So anytime I get to, to travel and go to uh, other churches, um, I get to brag on how wonderful my, my family is, how much I love them. But we're also going to tell you about how we survived cancer this last year. Uh, we're going to talk about Micah 6, 1 through 8, uh, how a lot of those principles applied to our journey, and how I think, I believe that as followers of Jesus, what, what Micah is, is crying out for the people of his time are still very true for us. And we're going to do our best to answer this question. What does God really want from you? What does God really want from me? Uh, there's no way I can, can specifically give you a clear, definitive answer to your own personal purpose in life. But I think if we're successful with our, our study today, there's going to be a lot of direction we're figuring out where that, 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 that journey of partnering with God through the path of mercy will end up, what your destination will look like along the way. Uh, the joy is to find out what that is with God along the journey. But I'm hoping today that this passage that we're going to be looking at in Micah will at least help you orientate yourself into the direction that God is calling you into. So let me pray for us one more time, and uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my family as we dive in. Father, thank you for uh, this church, this congregation, for uh, the beautiful worship that, you, that, that we were able to participate in today. Um, I pray that our message right now is just a continuation of the pursuit we have for you. Uh, Lord, I, I pray for this, this church family, but the first service and the second, and everyone who couldn't be here today. Uh, the Wildwood is, is known for a church of action, that our ritual, that our, our worship style, that our coming together on Sundays is beautiful and good, but it results in changed lives that change lives. So Lord, I just want to lift up these people to, to you right now, lift up myself, lift up our, our message. Um, Lord, do good. In Christ's name, amen. So this is my wife and my oldest son, uh, Christy Howard, and uh, that's John Logan, my firstborn. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit more about my wife in a second. She was diagnosed with uh, late stage, stage three breast cancer about a year ago. Uh, she's a, an amazing, wonderful worship leader, a creative type. Uh, she could sing a song that's going to melt your heart. Uh, in comparison, if I started singing, I, I made sure our, our sound team, like, make sure my mic is not on during worship or everyone will clear the building. They'll think there's something something's broken. But uh, she's an amazing, wonderful woman, uh, a woman of God that I'm just so blessed to, to be partnered with in this journey. Um, my oldest son here, uh, John, John Logan, is, is just a wonderful kid. He is so smart, so creative. Uh, scares me sometimes. I remember when we were traveling home from pre-K four, uh, and he goes, hey, Dad, we need, to, uh, we need to stop and get some broccoli. I'm like, what? And I was like, whose kid are you? Uh, and he goes on to say, you know, that, that, that broccoli's got potassium and iron in it. And I think I need more of that in my diet. <laughs> and I was like, well, Logan. At first I was like, that's probably not true. So we pull over. I look at Google. 
and the kid's right. I'm like, oh, wow, there's a lot of stuff in there I didn't know about. And I say, okay, bud, just this one time as a special treat, we will stop in to get some extra broccoli, but don't always count on it. That doesn't work out so well anymore as his pickiness has come out. But he is so creative and so thoughtful and so fun, and I, and I just love him. He's stubborn. He has all of my, my tenacity and all my wife's stubbornness, uh, but he's a great kid, and we're very thankful for him. Uh, this other beautiful child, this is William. If he was our first, he would probably have been our only. He is he's a wild, he's a firecracker. He is, he is so much fun. He is so wild. He is so silly. He's got so much personality, um, but there's no controlling him. Um, and, and, and we're just really thankful to have such a wonderful, beautiful kid. I, um, I, what I love most about William is the things that he gets excited about are really weird to me, but that's him. His favorite thing right now is to go to dad's office. Uh, and so I work uh, out in town and country, and we've got a conference space there that I was preparing for a large um, client meeting. I had a very important client. We were about to make our recommendations for their case. And um, being the amazing husband I am, I, I neglected to write down in my schedule that my wife was leading a woman's conference, and she's doing worship the night that I had this client meeting, and I was scheduled to uh, have the boys. So pizza party at dad's office, guys. Let's load up. And so we headed that way. And um, we were getting them all settled in. Logan's tuned in. He's got his game. He's got his pizza. He's got his snack. He's got his drink. He's got his police out, officer outfit on. He is good to go. And, and William's like, I'm fine, Dad. I got this. And he's his toys. He's watching his show. Uh, but multiple times throughout that appointment, he would come and knock on the big glass door. And I would crack it up and say, hey, what's up, buddy? Dad, I, I, I pooped, Dad. <laughs> Fortunately, our clients were very understanding. They're very sweet. And we had a really, uh, it was a good appointment. I was like, hey, you know, we're going to implement these, these changes we're making next week. They're like, that's fine, Brock. That's fine. Uh, and so it went well. But what William said to me the, that evening as we were heading off to the office, um, Logan said to me many times, it's the most scary thing a parent could ever hear. Mom, Dad, when I grow up, I want to be just like you. Most humble, honoring, beautiful thing you could ever hear from a child. And it's terrifying, let's be honest, because you know you're, you're good and you know you're bad. Um, William said it a little bit differently. He says, Dad, I'm buckling him in. Dad, in my next life, I'm going to wear a suit and be you. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I knew what he meant by that. I was like, well, a little weird theology, bud, but okay. Um, but we're thankful for both of them. And, and, and a lot of what we're looking today in Micah chapter 6 actually kind of captures that heart of what my boys have said to me before. They're not always like that. And my understanding is once they're teenagers, that all disappears. And they know how the world works, and I'm, I'm dumb. But right now, they really do want to be like me in certain ways, at least when they're not in trouble. Um, William is echoing, I think, what God is going to call us into in Micah chapter 6. What God really wants from you is to want to be like him, to want to follow him in this journey of mercy and share in the work of mercy. And we're going to look at a very important word. The word for mercy in our text today, if you want to go ahead and write this down, is the word hesed. It's an old Hebrew word that you use the back of your throat, kind of spit a little bit. Be careful not to spit that on the back of your neighbor. A hesed is the word for loving kindness, mercy, Compassion. It's more than not giving justice, okay? Sometimes when we hear the word mercy, we hear 
the, the, the judge said there's a 20-year sentence, but he only gave five. He showed mercy to the accused. Well, the use of the word mercy here does capture that, but it's also so much more. This is mercy of providing healing and support to someone who doesn't deserve it, but someone who really needs it. To, to, to come alongside someone who's broken and wounded, a healing balm to the wounds of a friend, a kind word, a good casserole, gentleness to those who need it, but probably cannot repay it back. So let me tell you a little bit about our story this last year. If you want to go to the next photo, this is about as good as it gets when my family tries to do a professional photographer at Forest Park. You can see the fruit chocolate bribe for William. Logan's chasing bugs. And there's both sweetness and chaos as William gives mom a flower there. And that's probably about as great of the photos we got from that whole day and the money I paid. But in our crazy, crazy chaotic family, this last year has been really hard. We got one of the scariest phone calls you can ever get. Um, my wife was shopping at Walmart, picking up some stuff for a party I think we were having that day. When her doctor called after we were going through some tests, they had found something in a scan, and we thought they were overreacting. Okay, okay, we're fine. But they wanted to pursue it, and they finally called us with the results. And anytime your doctor calls you and says, where are you? You know that the, 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 the follow-up of what the um, prognosis is probably not good. And so her doctor said, hey, when you get home, call me back. We need to talk. And I said, okay. She finished her shopping. I was really impressed that she could like stick to a list at that point with that question mark hanging out there. She finished her shopping. She drove home. She let me know. We went to our bedroom and we called. And without as much bedside manner as I would have appreciated, her doctor that we had just met over the phone, this is a new doctor that we were being introduced to, says, Christy, you have cancer. And our world stopped for a moment. And I remember in the, those moments, my, my wife became overwhelmed and she had to step out. And so I was asking questions, but I was asking the same questions over and over and over again, just different ways because the words made sense to my ears, but the, my brain just lost the ability to process exactly what she was saying. She was giving us a list of what we could expect for treatment. We didn't know a lot yet, which was the worst part of this. And we knew that we were gonna be for the next two weeks exploring how bad it is. She said, you're at least stage two, maybe further. By the end of those long two weeks of being poked and prodded, scanned and waiting and waiting and waiting, we found out that she was stage 3A and the um, success rate in comparison for someone who's at stage two goes from about 92 to 98% success down to 70% or less. And I remember driving home from that doctor's appointment. Treatment hadn't started yet. We were introduced to our surgeon. We were introduced to the beginning stages of what that plan looked like. And now we were wrestling with, why God? Now what? I had just started a new career. Things had been really hard the year before. We went through a very crazy, hectic season of ministry as we stepped out of full-time ministry, felt like it was the right thing to do, stepped into this new career that felt like it was perfect for us. We were so excited. And then this. God, this isn't supposed to be the way it is. Why? We survived cancer because we had an amazing team of doctors 
an amazing God that walked with us. And as of about a month or two ago, as my wife finished up her last surgery after going through all the chemo, all the radiation, all the work, her doctor said, hey, from our perspective, cancer looks like it's all but gone. And now they're saying, we've got a long road of treatment and recovery in front of us, but that fear that we were facing a year ago isn't there anymore. Now we're in the management phase and praise God for that. But that's not how we survived cancer. That's how she beat it. We survived cancer because of people like you. Because every time we had a treatment, I had a phone call from someone that said, hey, we're gonna pray for you. I had casseroles and salads and lasagnas and um, a lot and lot of enchiladas, surprisingly, waiting for me in my fridge every time. I'm good on enchiladas for a while if anyone ever invites me over. But we survived cancer because of the hesed and the loving kindness and the mercy that others brought into our lives. See, what's funny for us is we were in ministry for 10 years before we transitioned to this new role. And we were always the ones that were doing the work. She leads the worship. I do my little song and dance and things were good. We would lead Bible studies. We would help support churches. And we did the hesed. We did the loving kindness. We were the workers. But in this season, we were the recipients. We had to sit and wait. And God's people showed up. God showed up through his people. So this passage today is what Micah is calling us to. He said, that's the normal life. That's what God is calling us into, is that sometimes in your life, you're going to be in a position of strength and plenty and abundance and power, and you get the joy and the opportunity to step into a situation with God and deliver mercy to those who need it. For there will be times where you will need to be on the receiving end of that mercy. I can't guarantee what tomorrow holds for you. I think we're all going to go through some highs and lows. Can you agree with that? I don't know if they're always going to be as scary as what we went through. They might be scarier. They might not be as bad. But I guarantee you this, by the time the year is over, you will both have the opportunity to show mercy and have the need to receive mercy. And so this passage today that we're looking at calls us into this as a culture, as the people of God, if we want to experience more mercy, we need to show mercy. And I'm going to look at that slide in just a second, but this is our main point. As the people of God, if we want to experience the Father's presence in our lives, we are called to share loving kindness and mercy like he does with those who cannot repay us. You hear that? I want you to be very clear here. I want to qualify something. The text in Micah we're looking at is written to a people. It's written to a community. It's not written to individuals. So when we look at Micah here in a second, and if you read yourself into this, it sounds like God's really mad at you. But what he's doing is he's, he's arguing against the way that a culture has orientated itself towards him. God's love and his mercy and his kindness for you through Christ is yours in abundance. There's nothing you need to do to earn it. Just receive it. But as a community, if we want to experience God's presence more fully in our life, we need to participate with him in the journey of mercy. You've received all the love that God has for you through Christ. It's yours. But if you want to partake and taste all of it, journey with God in mercy. And so this point, if you want to go ahead and put this next slide up. Uh, 
Uh, go, go one more past this. It is mercy, not justice or courage or even heroism that alone can defeat evil. This is by a Christian philosopher, Peter Kreeft. It is mercy, not justice or courage or even heroism that alone can defeat evil. How does God defeat evil, sin, and death in the world? By absorbing it through the cross. So let's look at our text today um, as we study Micah 6, uh, 1 through 8 together. Verse 1. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up, plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. Verse three, my people, what have I done to you? This is interesting. Let's pause here for a second. Micah is a prophet proclaiming to the people, um, to God's people. Anytime a prophet shows up on the case, something's going wrong. There's never a prophet in the, in the Old Testament that says, hey guys, everything's going good. Keep it up. They're always there to correct people back to what they're supposed to be. And so this is a unique situation. And most times the prophets come on the scene when Israel's doing something really bad. They're just pursuing other gods. They're indulging in sin in some way. But for Micah, he says, a lot of what's going on, the problem isn't your ritual. In fact, you're doing all the right things, but there's no results. You're showing up, you're sacrificing, you're going through the right motions, but it's not benefiting your neighbor. And so I think this is the first thing we need to stop and look at in our own lives, is are we simply worshiping God correctly on a Sunday, but then by Monday, there's no change here, so there's no change here in our hands. It's not changing those around us. We enjoy the service, but we never like to serve. And so that's the first thing that God is getting to as we look at this. And, he's, and it's interesting because they're crying out, God, where are you? And he responds with, what have I done to you? Why have you withdrawn yourself? How have I burdened, burdened you? He says again in verse three, answer me. He now reminds them of his good work in their lives. He says, I brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you and also Aaron and Miriam. My people remember when Balak, king of Moab, Moab plotted and with Balaam, son of Beor, answered. And these, again, if you're in the small group study, you guys are gonna look a little bit more at these cases. But this is the history of Israel up to this point. He's calling back, he says, hey, don't you remember I showed up for you again and again? My love for you, my mercy for you, my hesed for you has always been there, but now you've changed, God is saying. It's not me, you have changed. Remember your journey through Shittim to Gilgal. And a quick side note, when you pronounce that town there, just run through it real fast. Don't slow down or it's gonna get you in trouble. Remember your journey, that you may know the righteousness and the acts of the Lord. God is saying, I've been there for you. And don't you remember that in your own time, your own life? Has God not been there for you before, again and again? Now he says, looking at their ritual, and he's going to, uh, to, to, to expose their problem. In verse six, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come with the burnt offerings, with a calf that's a year old, which was an appropriate sacrifice? But then he starts ramping it up a little bit. He says, verse seven, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? Would that make God happy? Oh, how about with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Will that please God? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgressions, for the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? Is that what God wants? No. David says this, that the Lord delights in obedience, not sacrifice. 
And God himself, God himself through Christ one day will satisfy these requirements, not you. So it's not our ritual that aligns us with God that is important. Our worship and our ritual changes us here for the purpose of changing us in the world for the sake of others. And so it's plain as day, black and white, Micah does something very good for us because most of the time the prophets give us very flowery language. They give us strange illustrations that are hard to digest. But in verse eight, Micah spells this out for us very simple. simple. He says, he has shown you, shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. And in summary, for a people, for a culture, for a church, if you want mercy, then show mercy. As I said before, as individuals, as the people of God, God has blessed you with his love and his kindness. You do not have to earn the love of God today. I want you to hear that loud and clear. He loves you fully. But as a church, if we want to experience God's mercy and his loving kindness, that hesed love that I described earlier that my family was able to experience, it comes from creating a culture of hesed and loving kindness around us today. So let me remind us of our main point. As the people of God, if we want to experience the Father's presence in our lives, we are called to share loving kindness and mercy like he does with those who cannot repay us. God wants you to want to be like him. And the same way that I get excited that my two little boys want to put on a monkey suit one day and help people the way I do, God really wants you to participate in mercy because that's his character. That's his nature. He wants you to partner with him and join with him. The specifics, I have no idea. That's the joy of that journey of mercy is to find out what your unique opportunities and gifts and, and, and challenges will be to share in that journey. But God wants you to partner with him as we go on this journey of mercy. But I have three questions, four questions we'll look at um, and how this applies to our lives. Why does it then feel sometimes that God is far away from us? And this is a problem that Micah's people are having. The problem, I think, comes down to one of two things, and this is a very big general um, over-explanation. Sometimes we are participating in sin. We are doing things that are wrong, and it feels like God is far away. The reality is that we have moved away, and we are um, enduring unholy pleasure rather than satisfying ourselves in, in Christ. And I think a lot of times for us, when we are going through a season of it, it feels like God is absent. It's far away, kind of like what people of Micah were feeling. Um, that might be the first place to look. Hey, are you doing something that's wrong that you know you're not supposed to be doing? And if my six-year-old, who, 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 who touts himself off as a, a young theologian, which I'm like, sometimes he's, he's spot on, but um, he has a very simple definition of sin that I think most of us work with, and that is sin is anything bad I do against God. Most of you agree with that? That's probably only half true, though. Sin really is the bad things I do against God and the good I leave undone that God has called me to. Does that make sense? It's not just the bad that I've done against God, but it's the good things that God has placed before me that I'm called to. And for Micah's people, that was what was going on because of verses 9, 10, and so on. He will say, listen, you, you rich, you're taking advantage of the poor. And I imagine if the rich, the day were to stand, they're like, no, we're, we're not doing anything wrong. 
But he says, you have opportunity to serve those around you. You have a calling to serve those around you and you're neglecting it. And so one of the first things that we look at and how we participate with God on this journey of mercy is to say, where do I have surplus? Where do I have position? Where do I have power? And how do I serve the one who does not? That might be something simple. Bake a casserole for a friend who's going through something. That might be a kind word or just showing up or sitting with someone who's suffering. But it's using the gifts you have for the blessing and the benefits of others. Going back to our definition of mercy being sharing and giving without the expectation of return. How do we try to satisfy these feelings of uh, absence? I think we try to satisfy them by distracting ourselves with things in this world or like the people of Israel, by diving deeper into perfectionism and ritualism. I love ritual. I love our worship service this morning. I love, uh, in a few minutes, we taking communion together. And these are rhythms and rituals the church has embraced for thousands of years, and it's beautiful. But if the ritual doesn't result in change, is the ritual any good? And that was Israel's problem in this passage. They were doing the right things, but nothing righteous was happening. And so for your own life, is your Christian life defined by a checklist that satisfies I've done enough? Or are we asking God, where do you want me to partner? And finally, going back to this, this oh, here, the quote from C.S. Lewis, I think is helpful here. Mercy detached from justice grows unmerciful. Meaning we, 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 we are required to participate with activity. It's not just an inward change, but mercy should change our activity as well. So what does God really want from me? And I've answered this a few times already, but I just want to say it plainly. He wants you, oh mortal, oh friend, to journey with him on this, this, this space of mercy. To find out where you have surplus that you can give to those who have scarcity. That's a direction I think that all of us are called to step into today because like I said before, at some point, you will need to be on the receiving end of that mercy. And we don't give mercy away so that we can get more ourselves later on, but what happens is we all give out hands-free. More mercy flows in than we gave away. When I went from one child to two, I had that panic moment I think a lot of young parents have, like how will I multiply my love for two kids? And it's beautiful that it just happens on its own. I found my time got divided by like 90 and it just was gone. But my, my ability to love these two little guys just grew. I didn't have to take love from the one to give to the other. It just grew and it grows and it grows. Mercy works the same way. If we share our gifts with a closed fist, then how can God bless us? But as we share our gifts with one another with an open hand, then when we are in our time of need, others will bless us. It's where faith comes in and trust. We're not doing it to get something. We're doing it because we just want to be like our Father. And when we do that, it gives others the opportunity to bless us as well. Timothy Keller says it like this, mercy and forgiveness must be free and unmerited to the wrongdoer. If the wrongdoer has to do something to merit it, then it isn't mercy. And it's just as true, both if we are extending mercy to someone who doesn't deserve it because they've done something wrong or we're giving them forgiveness, if they've earned our forgiveness, then it's just payment forward. It's proper payment. But what mercy comes into play is when someone doesn't deserve it, both the wrongdoer and then the person who's suffering. We show up and we give mercy to both those people 
not because we want something in return, but because we believe that's the nature and the heart of God for the way he loves us. So how does practicing hesed and loving kindness and mercy produce hesed in our lives? Well, it's how we partner with God. God longs for you to live a life, to live out a life of mercy for the sake of others because you are his child. And it is the way that he created you. Showing loving kindness like the Father does through Jesus is what you are meant for and how you satisfy your purpose. Discovering what your, your, your calling, your purpose is along the way, that's kind of some of the joy. I don't know what your destination looks like, but I hope today you have a little bit more of a direction. There are a lot of great organizations and things happening here in St. Louis that you get to partner in. So join it. You don't have to create something new. Find your neighbors that need help. Someone that's a shut-in that needs their yard mowed. Go down to Love the Loo and participate with what they're doing there. Um, we've got a great organization we've met along the way called Faith Through Fire that works with uh, women going through treatment and just supports them lavishly with all sorts of crazy things that you didn't even know existed. And so there are ways that you can step out and show mercy to those who are suffering. And I promise you this, if you do, you will experience the mercy of God in your own life like you've never thought possible. Let us pray as we continue in worship, as we pray and ask that God directs our steps into the places he wants us to show mercy. Father, thank you so much for all you are doing. Thank you for all that you will do. Thank you for your son, for Jesus Christ, that he is our savior and our perfect example of what mercy and loving kindness looks like. I pray for this church, Lord, that this hesed, that this love that you have for them grows more and more and more so that they see opportunities and have the willingness to share love with their neighbors, with those around them, that we get to use our positions of surplus and power for those who have none, that when we are in need, those that we love and need will come to our aid. Lord, let us love with open hands and clean hearts so that your kingdom grows and grows. In Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, amen.